David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. We have a great interview that David and I conducted with a Pro Football Hall of Fame wide receiver, the first selection ever of the New York Titans who became the New York Jets, Don Maynard. You went to college down at Texas Western. I know you grew up in Texas. How did you end up there and not at Texas? Well, I went to uh, Rice University uh, first, and then uh, I stayed down there, and then uh, a year, and then transferred to, to uh, Texas Western College in El Paso. What made you want to transfer from Rice? Well, because I guess I was homesick and I was lonesome and 585 miles from home and and I went home five times the first semester, rode a Greyhound bus 585 miles and and uh, each time I went home, I went home to stay, but my brother got on my case and and I went back and then I stayed and transferred transferred my hours and stuff to Texas Western College and, and then I was a red shirt out there doing spring training and then the next fall and then spring training and and uh being on the red shirt team ever play while I did 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 everything, played quarterback and so forth and red shirt and then and then uh when I got Ellsbowl I uh as a sophomore I stepped in the starting lineup and was a starter and regular uh for three years and back then you played both ways. So defense was my claim to fame but I uh did pretty good on offense too. And you get drafted by the New York Giants. Did you have any idea that they would be picking you? Because they drafted you as a future, right, in 57? Uh, yes, sir. So did they still have your rights for 58? Is that how it works? Uh, uh, they 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 drafted me and so I belonged to the Giants and I went up to the Giants in '58 and we wound up going into the sudden death game with the Colts. What did the Giants draft you as? As a wide receiver or as a defensive player? More. Uh, the, the Giants. Yes, I'm not. Well, I, I was a, I ran the kickoff back and I did punt return. So that's uh, you'd have to ask them. They just drafted me, and I was probably one of the most versatile 
players on the team behind the great Frank Gifford. Back then, they, they had their training camp in Oregon? Uh, Salem, Oregon, yes, sir. That well, name of the college was Willamette University. Okay. Uh, a fur piece from New York City, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was there wasn't a lot of partying in Oregon, like compared to New York City. No, in training camp, there's uh, you know there's there's not too much going on anyway. Because I remember reading Frank Gifford's book, and he mentioned that most of the New York Giants lived in hotels in New York City there, and it was like party after party. Well, I. Uh... I don't. I don't know about that. Uh, we. I, I lived in the same hotel as Gifford and Charlie Connolly and all. There was about eighteen giants that lived at the Concourse Plaza Hotel, and we. Uh, we went to work out every day, be be in your seats and ready to go at twelve o'clock, and and uh, and then went out for meetings and practice, and then after practice while people came home about 5.30 and then then uh, uh, like I say families that many families lived in the hotel so I don't uh, whoever parted was 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 whoever it was and I guess single guys <laughs> so how did that work in the hotel I mean did you have like kitchens and everything was it like a suite or was it just you would get room service or just go out to dinner or lunch? Oh, oh no. At the Concourse Plaza Hotel was one of the old established hotels about two or three blocks up from Yankee Stadium and, and across from the Polo Grounds. And, uh, and all in the and the uh, apartments, they had apartments in the hotel. You could have a one-room efficiency that had the kitchen on one wall and and the bed made, uh, the couches made in the beds. And, uh, or if you, if you had kids probably, well, you might have a one-bedroom. And then maybe uh, somebody's got more, they might have a two-bedroom. There's all kind of suites, but they all had full kitchen uh, and bath bathroom facilities. So, do you do much cooking? Beg your pardon. Did you do much cooking? Well, you, well, yeah. You, you, you know, my wife, my my wife, and and was and daughter was, uh, you know, there. So, naturally, she cooked whenever when <laughs> it's like you eat. It depends on the people. You know, some people eat three meals a day, some people eat two and snacks and like that. Just normal life. Was that a pretty close-knit team, that 58 Giant team? Oh, yeah, real close. Everybody was pretty close. We only had, uh, I think we only had three rookies on the ball club, so the veterans, they were, they were real close, and, uh, that was the first year in 58 that they put 35 players on the roster. Were you accepted right away by the veterans? Because that was a pretty veteran team. You know, you had a lot of guys in their 30s. Yeah, well, that, you know, 
that's 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 just you know that's just pro football. You got age age uh, different within all ball clubs. You know you got some you got some rookies. You got the veterans and and. Uh, and uh, they even had what they called a taxi team. That was a guys they kind of kept around, paid a little bit that might play later on. Or if somebody got hurt, they'd always be a backup uh, player. The Giants team had a tough defense. I mean, you had numerous Hall of Famers on there, Robustelli, Sam Huff. I mean, they were just loaded. Did you enjoy going up against those guys in practice? Well, I just uh, <laughs> enjoyment is is uh, you, you played your position, you did what you were told to do on the field, and and uh, that that was it. They like I say they were, I think maybe eight eight guys, eight guys, and and then coaches and all that out of that fifty eight team, probably the most in the league ever. Uh, made, made it to the Hall of Fame. And you had an offensive coordinator by the name of Vince Lombardi. Did he realize how good you were? Well, I don't know. Uh, they, anytime they kept a player, uh, the coaches evaluated things pretty good. Tom Landry, since I played defense and I played offense both, and then I, I was special team Kick returner and punt returner. Why uh, they they uh, they could evaluate talent pretty good. <laughs> what was Lombardi like as a coach? Um, he he just great coach. He uh, he he was probably as great as he was. Uh, back then, and then later, uh, a lot of his greatness carried over, and that's why he became the head coach at Green Bay. But uh, the nice thing about him and Landry was uh, they uh, they expected expected you to know know the system, and uh, they kind of wouldn't really tolerate a mistake, and there wasn't really any mistakes. Uh, made, made. I think I made one one time in a ball game. I, I was supposed to fake up into the line a little bit, and Charlie Connolly was throwing a, a delayed flare or swing pass to the back, and uh, I, I kind of missed it, and that that was the only mistake I made in 16 years of pro football. That's not too bad. Now, the 58 championship game is considered one of the greatest games in, in the history of sport. What was it like being in that contest? Well, it uh, you know we're we're we'd uh, tied for Cleveland for the Eastern Division, and we played them in a playoff, and we beat them, and and now we're going into the. Uh, uh, Championship game and and uh, just like years later, it was. I knew if we just showed up, we were going to get the loser share, and if we if we played a little harder, well, we could wind up with the 
winning share, but uh, the Colts, Baltimore Colts, had a great team led by Johnny Johnny Unitas and Raymond Barry and some great other ones that wound up in the Hall of Fame. That game probably had more Hall of Fame guys in it later on than any game that'll ever be played. So, and then when it was when you went in overtime, well, it uh, it uh, also proved who the best team was that day, and that was Baltimore. To this day, Frank Gifford insists that the Giants should have won the game because he said that he was marked down short of where he actually got tackled. Yeah, well, whatever the whatever he said and whatever the film showed, uh, you know that nice thing about it. Any any time in the film, a lot of times it answers the truth. So, uh, you know, he he said it was missed because he had carried the ball, and and that's that's the play that one of the Colts, Gino Marchetti broke his leg on the play and there's a lot of confusion going back and forth with the officials and trying to get a trying to get the trainer out to the injured player and all so um, I'm sure he's seen it a lot more times than I have but whatever he said would probably be true Raymond Berry laughs he goes Frank Gifford's taking credit for bouncing off the turf with his knee he goes once you hit the crowd you're down he goes Frank forgot about that yeah, well, if that's if that's what they said, they said it. I I don't know anything about that. So the Colts go out to win the championship, and your your rookie year is over. You think that you're established in New York with the Giants, and then they release you. How surprising was that? Well, that was. That was a year later in training camp when they, when Labardi went to Green Bay and Landry went to Dallas and they brought in a guy. Alex Sherman had been on the Giants kind of scouting staff and he'd been a coach and he, uh, he's the guy that, that cut me and, uh, I never dropped any balls and, Really never did say nothing to anybody, you know, but, uh, they, uh, they kept, uh, they kept somebody in the place of me. Matter of fact, I probably could run backwards faster than the guy could run frontwards, but when a coach don't like you, well, then you, you got a problem. But the nice thing about Landry and Lombardi, well, they, um, they always kept the best ball player, but, but uh, that wasn't the case with a guy named Ali Sherman. And uh, uh kind of tickled me years later why, uh, when he, he even became a head coach, I think. And, and uh, <laughs> he, he probably lost, lost a bunch of games. I talked to someone. They said that the reason that Lombardi wasn't hired as the coach was the owner, Mara, didn't think that New York was ready for an Italian coach. How silly was that? I, I, I never heard that comment, so I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> but you played for some great coaches. I mean, you had Lombardi, you had <clears throat> also Landry, and then you had Hank Stram, or not Hank Stram, uh, the, from the Weed Bank. Well, I um, 
I played under nine head coaches and 42 assistants, and uh, uh, I really, like I say, uh, uh, I complain about one. That's Ali Sherman, the guy that cut me. And later, as time went on, I found out that I knew a lot more football, especially about the passing game, than, than he'd, he'd ever know. <laughs> Well, I think most New York Giants fans would think that they knew more about the passing game than Ali Sherman. He he was not particularly popular back in the day. So you, you end up going through the Canadian Football League, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. How did that come about? Well, I got I got released by the by the Giants, and um, instead of instead of go, going home. Uh, uh, I made contact with uh, Betty, uh, with the Hamilton people and decided, well, I'll just run up there and, and, uh, and play. I could play as a, uh, wide receiver. And also, you went both ways. They have 12 Americans. Most of the 12 Americans always go both ways except the quarterback position people and uh, so I wound up going up there and then I, I learned a little bit later that Lombardi had picked up my option at Green Bay and um, and but I'd already been up there and played in a couple of games sometimes they play on Monday uh, well, they play on, say, Wednesday and then also double back and play on Saturday. And so I'd already played a couple of games before they finally tracked me down. And, um, and so I, I just told, or I mentioned to Vince, he, he could have, Lombardi could have had me come on to Green Bay, but, uh, I said, well, I'm getting to play up here and, and, uh, you know, but, under the contract rule, uh, I would have had to go back to Green Bay, but Lombardi was nice enough to say, "Well, well if you if you're doing okay, well, I won't contest the agreement between the Canadian League and the NFL." So that's what I did. I stayed there and then went to the Great Cup, and they we lost a Winnipeg in the Great Cup, and coincidence, but. Twenty twenty something years later, my son wound up coaching and and uh, at Winnipeg, and they won the Grey Cup and runner up, and and uh, he's got a he's got a ring a lot bigger than my Super Bowl ring. <laughs> How did you end up with the Jets then? How what? How did you end up with the Jets? Well, in nineteen. In 1960, the American Football League was founded, and when I played in Canada, I signed with with uh, uh, no no uh, contract to go back to next year. So when the American Football League was founded, well, I wound up being the first New York Titan that was signed. The Titans later became the Jets after the ownership. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I stayed with the Jets for 15 years. Rather than signing with the AFL, could you have gone to the, back to the National Football League and signed with Lombardi and the, the Packers? 
No, I, I, uh, they, they give me my, uh, freedom, free release, so to speak, and they, or they wouldn't contest it, and I'd, I'd rather play with the New York Titans now because they, they hired Sammy Ball as coach, and I played against him three years in college, and, and I played for him in the Blue Grade game, and, uh, uh, I knew he was going to throw the ball, pass the ball a lot, and and his key receiver coach was Bone Taylor. And um, Bone said, "Well, all we're going to do with you is you're going you're going to play offense, wide receiver, and that that's that's the way it turned out there." I mean, you had quite a wide receiving tandem with the Jets and with you. <clears throat> Uh, name it, throwing you the ball, and then Powell is the other receiver. You guys were loaded. Well, we, uh, I think we were one, two in the league in yardage gained, and, uh, I was right up there one or two from the top as the most, uh, uh, uh passes caught, the receptions. We had, we had a good, we had a good, good, uh, good passing attack. Well, your, your first year with the Titans, you, you caught 72 passes, so you had to be pretty happy. Yeah. Well, what was Sammy Ball like? I just the greatest guy. He was a, he's probably the greatest football player I've ever played. People talk about Jim Brown, great player. Well, Jim, uh, if, if, if you give a point deal, I come up with a point deal with players. Uh, let's say offense is 10 points, defense is 10 points, punting is 10 points, uh, and uh, and Sammy Ball, he was all pro offense, all pro defense, and uh, his punting record's probably still nearly stand. So he had, he had 30 points compared to somebody else that might only have 10. <laughs> Jim Brown, nice guy, a great runner, but uh, on defense, well, I think he only played one game, a little bit of defense, and uh, you know he didn't run kickoffs or punts back, maybe one one game or two. So, uh, Sammy Ball is still uh, a great, great player, but he also was a great, great coach. He knew he knew the offense and defense and the passing game and and uh and it was great to be able to uh be indoctrinated in the football under his ability and like I say I'd played against him three years in college and I knew he was gonna throw the ball so that's probably the main reason I came back to the first year of the New York Titans and uh, it was a lot of fun. Okay. By 1965, you're the Jets, and you have Lee Bubank, the coach, and they draft this uh, this cocky kid out of Alabama named Joe Namath. Could you tell right away that he was somebody special at quarterback? Oh, yeah. In, in the bowl game, when Namath played in the uh, bowl game against Texas, um, yeah, naturally, I watch TV and watch ball games and all. And then, uh, I could tell he was a 
great quarterback, and then they drafted him, and and uh, he come to camp, and I always rested good with the quarterbacks. I told him, I said, you know, uh, I'm going to make you a, a lot better quarterback, and you're going to make me a great receiver, but we're going to talk on every play and practice as we set up our passing offense. And um, and then as Joe got to camp and, and we discussed a lot of things and all, because I'd already seen he was uh, had been a great ball player. And, and uh, I said, we'll visit and we'll discuss the routes as we talk about them because I... I rounded my patterns off, and that was a little bit different than some people were taught. I'm, I'm driving a car. It's kind of like driving a pickup. When you drive a pickup, you're going to turn 90 degrees to the right. You you, you slow down. But me, I'm going to round mine, my pass pattern, and uh, Namath and I had one basket play, and about 11 years we played together. So did, Nam- did Namath know what you're going to do before you did it? Oh yeah, he he calls the play in the huddle. But I taught Joe something that I've never I've never had a I've never found a coach yet that's ever taught a a player this. See, Joe calls the play. Let's say I'm going to run a five yard out, a five yard out. Well. He knows I'm going to run a five-yard out. But as he drops back in the huddle, the defensive back comes up on me, as I call it. They used to call it bump and run, but I call it the crowd. He's crowding you up on the line of scrimmage. Well, instead of me running a five-yard out, I'm just going to slide to the outside, and I'm going to run a go pattern and just lay the ball up. And I said, Joseph, don't read me. You already know what you told me to do. You read the defensive back. If he stays back five yards, I'm going to be a five-yard out. If he comes up on the line of scrimmage, I slide to the outside, and I run a goal, and we got six points. <laughs> well, it certainly didn't take long for you to become his favorite receiver. Your his name this rookie year. You had 68 catches to lead the team by, uh, you know, about 30 more than anybody else. You had 14 touchdown receptions. Name this whole season. He had 18. So you became the number one target right away. I would assume defenses began to concentrate on you. At, certainly at that point, how to deal with that? Well. Who, who, whoever gets doubled, and I'll, I'll jump over to an illustration for you. Uh, we go to the, uh, in the Super Bowl, the Baltimore's defense doubled and tripled me the whole game. So, Navis ain't gonna throw the ball over to me. He just looks over and I'm out so wide, they gotta double and triple me, so why even risk a throw over there? So he he threw most of the passes to Sour, I think about eight. Mathis had three, Snell had maybe four or five, Boozer had three or four. 
So Joe's just going to go to the guy that's open. You know, why, like I say, why, why risk it over, you know, throwing the ball to me when there's three guys guarding me? That, that worked out real great. And I always kid people and say, well, I had the best seat in the house. I knew I wasn't going to get thrown to, but I had a job to do to entertain a linebacker, a cornerback, and maybe a safety. So it, it worked out real good. We'll take a brief break now on Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com and return with part two of our interview with Don Maynard. 